Uh, we're going to be in, in one more Daniel story before we launch into what it means to be a courageous church in the areas of our personal mission, which is the connect, grow, serve, and go areas. And, and today we're going to be in a very famous story of Daniel, probably the most famous story of the book of Daniel. It's going to be in Daniel chapter 6. So if you'll take your Bibles and go there, I don't have any slides at all. So Loretta, is gonna, this is going to be easy, kiddo. Uh, for you. Um, just go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's in the Old Testament. It's one of the uh, the, the prophets after uh, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. There it is. And so Daniel chapter 6. Uh, I want to read to you uh, this story. We're going to read the entire chapter and then we're going to be kind of uh, taking it apart and looking at what uh, I, I really believe that God has for us before we launch into a very personal um, a series on what being a courageous church looks like at Powell View Christian Church. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over those satraps, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went to a group, went as a group to the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or any man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, Yes, the decree stands in accordance with the laws and the Medes of the, and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Well, then Daniel, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, 
And they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in the sight, in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were then brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. And then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue now a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar's gone. His successor, Belshazzar, by the way, he's the one who saw the writing on the wall. God judged him, raised up the Persian emperor named Cyrus to overthrow the Babylonians. And then Darius, the Mede, was put in place to oversee the governance of Babylon. And Daniel once again impressed the, the, the governor, the, the, the government, uh, with his wisdom, with his integrity, and he is lifted into this powerful position of high authority through the blessings of God. And then, as we read, not everybody's happy with that promotion. Jealous politicians uh, conspire to, to get Daniel out of the way in just a, a sneaky of a way, is what you'd see in Washington, D.C. today. They don't like Daniel. They have come at Daniel every step of the way in this book. How, how, do, you, how do you respond when people come at you? Have you ever wished not so nice things on those who attack you? Uh, I think I told this story a long time ago, but uh, heard a story about a husband and wife who had had a really bad argument one day, and it went into the night, and they went to bed angry, and in the morning, they just weren't even talking to each other. But, but they both were getting ready to, to go to work, and so she, uh, she was getting her dress on, and she went up to him, didn't even want to talk with him because he had been such a jerk. And she just, she, but she needed her dress zipped up. So she needed his help. So she just walked over to him and turned her back and went, uh. And so he looked at the zipper, realized what she wanted him to do. So he took that zipper and went, zip, 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 z
and walked away. She was so hurt. She was so mad. She couldn't even think straight. She got to work and work watched her and said, you are not good to us today. You need to go back home. So reluctantly, she got back in her car, drove home. As she was turning the corner, she saw in the driveway of their house, his car. He had not gone to work. She was a little mad about that. And, and as she parked in front of the, the, uh, uh, the curb there in front of the house, she saw he was actually there working on his car. The, his legs were out, you know, she could see his legs. Uh, and he's working on the car. And she goes, this is, this is just ridiculous. But she saw her opportunity because his legs were right there. So she went up to him and she took his zipper and went zip, 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 ha, and walked, walked back into the house where her husband was. Who then said, honey, did you see Pastor Bob out there? He's helping me with the car. You ever wish not so nice things on those who are not so nice to you? Daniel and his friends have clearly seen opposition while living in Babylon, and yet they're standing firm, and they're not striking back. Why aren't they striking back? I believe, again, that this is the confidence that they have in the justice of their God. You you wonder, all these things are happening to Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and you say, aren't you guys human? Aren't you getting angry at this point? Aren't you getting frustrated? Aren't Aren't you tempted to strike back? There's a category of psalms in our Bible that scholars call the imprecatory psalms. The imprecatory psalms. That, that's a term, imprecatory, that we don't normally use. So I want to explain to you. Imprecatory psalms are those in which the author is calling for imprecation. Okay? Doesn't that clear that up? Imprecatory. That's when you want imprecation. Well, imprecation is when you're asking God to come in and thump your enemies. Give them what they are asking for, giving what they deserve. For example, Psalm 17, 13, rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down with your sword, rescue me from the wicked. Now, that's not very nice, but that's in our Bibles. Or, or how about uh, Psalm 58? Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions, Lord. And maybe the most famous or the most infamous one of all is when the the psalmist who is reflecting on this whole time of of exile in Babylon and the destruction of Jerusalem in Psalm 137 said, O daughter of Babylon, so talking about Babylonians, doomed to destruction, blessed shall he be who repays you what you have done to us, the one who seizes your infants and dashes them on the rocks. Ooh. Now, while I hope that none of us have gotten to that point of dashing infants on rocks, anger against people, I don't think that you have to look very far to to see that we live in a culture where we are addicted to outrage. We, We get outraged about things. Everybody seems so angry. Don't believe me? Go to social media and see what I'm talking about. Now, part of that is we do see the injustice in this world. We see the evil, and we wonder why nothing really changes. Uh, it's, it's like when I was in high school, and I would always ask the question, why is it that the jerks are always the popular ones? I mean, well, why do the girls want to date the, the, the bad boys that are jerks? Because here I am, and I'm not a jerk. What's wrong with me? Where's the justice? 
I can understand the imprecatory psalms, why they are there. I think God allows imprecatory psalms because he knows that it's okay to feel this way at times. When we can acknowledge our frustration, when we can acknowledge our anger, when we can acknowledge our fear, that's not a bad thing because it shows that we are human and we are relying on somebody bigger than us to actually see much more clearly than we see. And so I can understand people wondering, how do we then stand up against the forces that seem so very wrong, so very scary in our culture today, in our country today? I know that we all know that God is in control, but at times those lions, they seem pretty frightening. In our whirlwind two-week tour of colleges and national parks, which, by the way, five colleges, eight national parks, 2,000 miles, 12 days. That's just dumb. It, it really is. Now, we had a great time. We had a great time. But now, now when we were at the Grand Tetons, uh, in fact, um, uh, Loretta, could you go back to my name slide? I want to show you this is actually Lake Jenny or Jenny Lake. That's Jenny Lake right there in the Grand Tetons. The Grand Tetons are right, be, right behind the lake right there. We were right there at that place right there. You can go back to the, the lion now. That's okay. When, when, when something happened, somebody who's in a kayak said something. Now, th- this is amazing because I, human, human nature is very odd to me. Uh, I, I grew up in, in California. We'd go to the coast a lot. We'd go to the beach a lot. And if somebody said, if you're on the beach and somebody, or if you're in the water and somebody goes, Shark! What does everybody do? You run away from the shark, right? Well, when you're in the woods in Grand Teton and somebody yells, bear, guess what? Everybody runs to the bear. There's a bear? Let's go get a picture. So we did. Allie, going to be a 17-year-old Allie, probably 95 pounds, she had her phone out, and she was probably 12, 14 feet away from this little bear cub. Got a great picture. Bear cubs are cute. But you know what happens if there's a bear cub? You, who, who's around? Mama bear is probably up there, too. Now, we didn't get to see Mama bear, but uh, on, one of our, on one of our college tours over at Northwest Nazarene in Nampa, as we were going through their science department, they had a couple taxidermy bears like one polar bear that used to be a rug, and now that they've, they've, they've recreated him. Huge thing. And then uh, even closer than, than the polar bear, we got right to a grizzly bear that had been stuffed. Those things are petrifyingly huge. Like his paw was bigger than my face. And that was just like, that, that, is, that is huge. I think oftentimes when we read the story about Daniel and the lion's den, we pass over the fact that Daniel is being tossed into a, a place where there was no escape, and what was waiting for him was waiting to tear him limb from limb. Lions are scary, folks. I mean, they, they look like they're lazy and stuff like that. The, the, the big ones, the, the males, they just kind of lumber around and just kind of boom. But those, those female lions, oh, man. They'll jump at you. It's scary. It is scary what Daniel is facing. So when we pray these imprecatory prayers for God to come down and take care of our enemy, I understand that. I understand a desire for God to take care of those who want to throw us into the lions. 
those who want to throw us to the sharks, those who want us to be, uh, encounter the bears that will just tear us limb from limb. Folks, what we are facing today as Christians in my lifetime is unprecedented. I, I don't want to get real political today, but I do want to begin to educate you on what um, critical race theory is all about. It started out as Marxism. Marx was a man who saw injustice economically between the oppressor and the oppressed. He thought that uh, the, the workers of the world would unite, but they did not unite like how he wanted them to. So some of his followers were wondering why it never caught on. They thought, well, it may not just be an economic thing. It may be a, a cultural thing. And so it began to, to grow into a cultural thing where uh, conflict theory, that's what they called it, that there, there's always an oppressor and always an oppressed. And that made its way into Frankfurt, Germany, and from Frankfurt, Germany, it made its way into the, the, uh, the public uh, institutions of America. And as we begin to, to teach this, this uh, oppressive reality, you've got to have somebody that is the oppressor, and you've got to have somebody that's the oppressed in critical race theory. Do you know in America, or in the Western culture, but really in America, what they are, who they are saying is the oppressor now? The Christians. It's, it's not, it has nothing to do with your race. It has nothing to do with your gender. It has everything to do with what you believe now. And so they look at Christians and say, the root of all of our evil in our society comes from the church, comes from those who have faith in Jesus, comes from those who claim to be Christians. You see how perverted that is? How, how, how the truth has been twisted by Satan in a powerfully, overwhelmingly way? From the textbook that is now being taught to the teachers of our, uh, the students who are going to be teachers, they said the significance, listen to this, the significance of Christianity in the United States and the challenges that Christianity poses for minority religions is a social justice issue that requires the kind of historical knowledge and structural cultural analysis that we use to understand other forms of oppression that stand in the way of social justice. Jesus came along to bring social justice. Jesus came along to throw off the oppression. That's what Christianity stands for. And now in our society, they're saying, no, 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 no. You are, you are an oppressor. You're just one of those other forms of oppression that stand in the way of social justice. They're saying Christianity is not just bad for our culture. It's bad for our world. And if you try to tell people the truth of what you believe, that's now seen, evangelism is now seen as harassment and an assault on somebody else's worldview. And how dare you do that? If you engage in telling people about your faith, which is what Jesus has commissioned us to do, by the way, you should be stopped. You should be punished. Those lions are out there, folks, and they are scary. They're scary. So you say, Lord, when will this end? Please come and bring justice. Now, the stories that we have seen in the book of Daniel, though, show us something that I, I think that is so important for us to understand because we will be crying out for justice, and there will be times where we do stand for justice. People have been asking me, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? Well, get involved. Get involved. Make your stance clear. Don't, don't be pushed around. Be involved in local government. Vote. Live your life the way that God has called you to live your life. Stand up for the things that are wrong. Absolutely, you should do that. But if I go back to Scott's message last week, 
When Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are thrown into the furnace for not conforming to the government, who's there with them? Ah, there was a fourth person in the fire, wasn't there? If, if we go back two weeks ago for, in the, the message that Steve brought us, the king had a dream and challenged his wise men to prove their spiritual acumen to, to not just explain the, the meaning of the dream, but to tell him what the dream was. Something impossible he was asking of them. And yet a courageous church is not afraid to attempt the impossible because we know that we have a God who can do the impossible. We can be confident in the power of God. I, I know that uh, Steve really didn't get into the uh, dream or what it meant a couple weeks ago. So I, I want to look at it real quick. Uh, go back to Daniel chapter 2. And uh, let's, let's read just a few verses starting in verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream? Are you able to interpret it? And Daniel replied, No wise man, no enchanter, no magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the vision that passed through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than you, O king, uh, uh, or, or than any other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly baked clay. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its, uh, on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. That's the dream. The interpretation given to Nebuchadnezzar involved a succession of several earthly kingdoms, beginning with Babylon, then going into the Medo-Persian Empire, and then Greece, and then finally Rome, and later on in the book of Daniel, those four kingdoms are going to be represented by beasts. Now, I, I want you to understand something very important about the book of Daniel in looking at the prophecies and all of the imagery with, with beasts. Same thing with Revelation, by the way. In, in Genesis, when God creates man, something special happened. Uh, he, he created all of the animals, and then he creates man, and it says that he breathed the breath of life into man. And man became a living being. It doesn't say that about rhinos or pigs or dogs. Only man, man and woman. They became a living being. They were separated from the beastly kingdom because they had the image of God in them. God had given them a special creation. That's why, by the way, macroevolution being taught that is so damaging. Because they say that we're no different than the beasts. And the only thing that makes us different is the fact that we were able to use uh, tools and technology and that somehow expanded our brain. No, folks, that's not what separates us from the, the animals. Our relationship with God separates us from the animals. 
You give up that relationship with God, you become a beast. You become a dog. You, you, you just become somebody out there that just, uh, you, you, you succumb to your own natural tendencies. That, that's, that's what happens when you turn your back on God. What happens with Nebuchadnezzar? It, when he falls to pride and looks at his kingdom and says, oh, look what I've done. All of a sudden, God takes his spirit away from him, takes the God image away from him, and he lives like a beast for several years before he looks back up and acknowledges who God is. So these kingdoms, whether they're beasts or whether they are in the statue, they continue on and they oppose the work of God. And those, those who live only with the material world in our eyesight, with the material world in our hearts, it looks like those kingdoms are going to endure to the end, that they're going to win. But that's not how the dream ends, is it? No, all of a sudden there's this rock, this rock that gets hewn out of this mountain and it comes down and it smashes the, the entire structure and then begins to grow and grow and grow until it fills the earth as this gigantic mountain. Do you know who that rock is? Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. The, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. There it is, Psalm 18. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You know, I didn't tell DC to sing that song today. I was going to. God kind of figured that out, told DC, let's sing that song as well. See, the courage that we can have in, in the times of those beastly kingdoms that establish themselves over the power of God comes from a certainty, folks, comes from a confidence that they will not win. They won't. They're not going to win. Why? Because we got the book. It's like watching ESPN Classic and watching Super Bowl 34 and knowing that the Rams are going to beat the Titans. Yes! You already know how it's going to end. It's kind of like the, the Olympics now. You, you, you hear what's going to be happening in volleyball, and then you watch it, and you already know. You already know the end. See, God wins. God wins. This is why we're in trouble. Because we really don't get excited about the fact that God wins. Or we don't really believe it. Your, your life should be resonating an amen, whether you're saying it or not. Because it might be a little awkward to say it, something out loud in church. God wins! Thank you. But folks, God wins will only make a difference to you if you stop living in the material mindset. And every day, every hour of every day, you actually connect with God. That's, that's the only way that that's going to make a difference. Today, I want to end by reading a portion of Psalm 37. Well, we saw Psalm 137 about dashing the, the, the children on the rocks. But, but I want to actually go back to Psalm 37. So if you'll go kind of in the middle of your Bibles where Psalms is, Psalm 37 I, I love this psalm. It begins, Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. 
Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Folks, there, there's, a, there's two things I really want to point out to you in those first eight verses there. First of all, in this passage, you'll see, do not fret three times. Do not fret because of evil men. Do not fret when they succeed in their way. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. It's very interesting. The verb to fret in the Old Testament is used 90 times. Often it's translated kindled or hot or incensed or burn. Now, what do all those words have in common? Kindled, hot, burn, incensed. What, 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 do, they all, what, what do they all deal with? Fire, heat, right? So what, what is God saying? Chill. That's what he's saying. Chill. Just chill. Chill. That doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up and take responsibility to speak out against injustice when you see it. But in all of those three instances, it's not talking about not being upset about things or indignant over the evil, but it means to say you don't need to, to bring the heat. You don't. One day God will. That's not your responsibility to bring the heat. It's your responsibility to chill and trust God that he will bring the heat. Because I promise you this, just like, oh, just like my, uh, this, this is not even my notes, just like my mom would tell me when I was growing up and my older sister had done something to me and I wanted to do something right back to her, mom said, oh, I can make her in more trouble, Trey, than you ever could. Trust me, Trey, to, to impart the, the punishment that needs to happen. Because you might think that you are bringing justice, but I'm not. I'm just, I'm just striking back out. She goes, believe me, I can make it hurt a whole lot more than you can, Trey. That's what God's telling us. Chill. Chill. God's got this. Number two, I, I want you to see how many do's there are in this. Yeah, there's three don'ts. Don't fret, don't fret, don't fret. But let's look back here. It says, don't fret. Okay, that's a, that's a don't. But uh, do trust in the Lord. Do good. Do dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Do delight yourself in the Lord. Do commit your way to the Lord. Do trust in him, and he will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. Do be still before the Lord. Do wait patiently for him. See, folks... Oftentimes, people just get it wrong because they think Christianity is just about a bunch of don'ts. But God cares way more about the do's. When we're, when we're up against that opposition, folks, God says, I want you to live the way I want you to live because that's the only way that your righteousness will shine. If, if we stoop down to the same level of ugliness that's coming at us, we will never make a difference, ever. But it's only when we trust in the Lord, when we commit our way to him, when we do good, when we dwell in the land, when we delight ourselves in him, when, 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 when we, when we uh, wait before the Lord, be still before him and wait patiently for him. 
that's when we're going to be making a difference in this world. As, uh, I believe it was the Christian comedian Mike Warnke back in the 70s said, listen, if you spend your time doing the do's, you're not going to have time to do the don'ts. Okay? If you commit yourself to doing the do's, the don'ts kind of take care of themselves, don't they? Daniel's too busy praying. Did you catch that? He's too busy praying to worry about what the enemies are up to. He's not, he's not talking to people. Oh, did you hear what they were going to do? They've enacted this law, and it's against me, and that's not fair. No, he just says, you know what? Okay, fine. I'm going to take care of my relationship with God three times a day, like I always have. I'm going to set my face towards Jerusalem, and I'm going to pray. Every day, three times a day. How often do you think about your God? I know you think about him here on Sunday morning. That's wonderful. Maybe a Bible study. But are you seriously looking at your relationship with God every day, three times a day even? That's what Daniel was doing. He, he didn't care about what his enemies were doing. He knew what the law said, but he also knew what God wanted him to do. And so, folks, I'd say if you can work on your relationship with God, stay close to him. You don't have to worry about then how you're going to strike back at a progressively predatory culture. We are continually reminded to do good here. That's what God's game plan is. Rather than fretting and stewing, make sure you're right with God. Keep a short account. Confess your sins. Study his word on a regular basis. Connect with this church. Get your butt back to church. If you're going to courageously connect, if that's going to be our mission statement, courageously connect, I'm kind of spilling over to next week. But, but, but why? Why do I have people coming into this church that nobody greets? And you say, well, they might have been here for three years. And if I say, hi, welcome, and they've been here for three years, I'm going to feel very awkward. Good. Please do. Be courageous. Courageously connect. Do what God wants you to do on a regular basis. Reach out in love to those who look different than you, who speak different than you, who vote different than you. Because God's command was not just love those who look like you. Love your friends. No, no, no. He says, love those who are your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. And I've talked about this before, but burning coals does not mean, ha, I'm going to hurt you. Ha, with my, with my kindness, I'm going to kill you with kindness. No. If you look at burning coals in the Bible, burning coals purify people. Isaiah's lips were purified when burning coal came and touched his, 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 his lips. So I believe that when Peter, Paul says there in Romans, do good to those who do not do good to you, in, in that way you're putting burning coals on their head, you're actually giving them the best chance they ever will have to be purified. Okay? If, if you just come at them like they're coming at you, you're no different. Why should they even believe what you believe? There's lions out there, folks. There are lions out there. But Daniel had the confidence to face the lions because he was doing what God wanted him to do. He had a confidence that God wins. Uh, Amber, come on up. And you're, and everybody else that's going to be playing or singing. I, I got to run because we have no musicians for second service, and so I get to play the guitar uh, out there. Uh, so be praying for me, please, that I can do that and then preach again and then preach again. I'm so glad to be back. I love you guys. I really missed you guys. And um, 
I'm excited to see now in the next three or four weeks what it's going to look like when we courageously connect, courageously grow, courageously serve, and courageously go.